Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with my co-host... Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth. Not Nick. Not Nick. Still not Nick. Still not Nick. Never gonna Still be Nick. not Nick. Elizabeth, we are doing a special nighttime recording. No, we're not doing that. No, we're not gonna tell the people that. I've been really trying, <laughs> baby. So, Elizabeth, today uh, we are continuing our series on uh, the Beatitudes as a seven-step process to become a disciple of Jesus Christ in connection and conversation with uh, the sermon series on Sunday morning at Northside Church. And today we are at the, uh, I believe, sixth. Today we're going to talk about the, and today we're going to talk about the sixth uh, beatitude, which is blessed the pure are, in heart. <laughs> that's right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Um, so let's jump in. I thought Jeff did a great job yes. in his sermon on Sunday. So if you have not heard that, check that out. And side plug, if you did not know, we have a sermon podcast. So if you want to listen to sermons in your car or on your run in the morning, you can do that. After you listen to the Dialogue Disciple podcast. After the podcast, of course. Of course. What you should do is come to church on Sunday, hear the sermon. We're not all perfect, James. Well. Some of us miss church sometimes. That's okay. Some of us don't get paid to get be there. This is very true. It's a harsh reality. Uh, all right. We live cushy lives here at the church. Us professional Christians, we, uh, we got it easy. All right. So, um, yeah, I thought Jeff did a great job. He, uh, he did a great job of, of really getting into uh, the terms of purity and what they mean. And, and I especially, obviously, especially liked his, his uh, conversation or his, his words about being a cultural Christian. Yeah. Uh, and, and throwing that little dig at me about being such a Kierkegaard fan. I do have him tattooed on my arm, so maybe I do. You're a fan. Maybe. I think you can safely say yeah, you're, a, yeah. you're a hardcore fan. Well, Talk a little uh, bit more about the cultural Christianity thing. Well, um, to, to, just to talk about it in terms of the way that Jeff was using it on, uh, on Sunday, um, Kierkegaard, I mean, Kierkegaard in his quotation of Kierkegaard, which was a great, it was a great, uh, it was a great honor to be asked to, 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 to help Jeff do his, with that piece, uh, to help Jeff with that piece, but also to, um, have a conversation with a colleague. I actually quoted him in, I quoted his sermon in our Sunday school so that, that he could, uh. You know, so we could all a little back and forth, a little, back a little and forth. dialogue a little, there, yeah, a little dialogue, dialogue for the yeah, people, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, so uh, Kierkegaard's big concern, like his, the entirety of his, enti- I mean, the entirety of his project is about his theological project. Is the entirety of his project is about uh, his concern for what he saw as being cultural Christians. Um, and what he meant by that was that, uh, as Jeff alluded to on Sunday, uh, that in, in Copenhagen, in Denmark, everyone was born and everyone by law had to be baptized Lutheran by law, by law. So it wasn't even that it was like, it, you know, this is, you know, everyone had to be Lutheran and they had to be baptized when they were babies. And so everyone grows up with this kind of understanding that they've always been part of the church. Were there laws around practices of Christianity? Not in the same way. No, no. This is just, it, it was. It's just it was, you're baptized into it and. Yeah, it was a time in which uh, it was a state church. So this is a situation where Lutheran was a state church and everyone had to be, everyone had to be Lutheran. So, um, 
you grow up in the situation where you've never not known the church. You've always been part of the church. And it's just kind of like, it's just another thing about you that, you know, I have blue eyes, I have blonde hair, I'm a Christian. And it's, it's just describing something, a reality about you without ever having truly experienced faith. It's not distinctive. It's not personal. Okay. There, and that's what he was really going for. Hmm. Uh, there's not a personal experience piece that, uh, that really is, is what the heart of faith is. Uh, and so that's what he was talking about when he says the purity of heart is the will. One thing he is talking about how we as Christians have a responsibility uh, and a call to have that accountability, that relationship with God. And, and if we are just simply going through the motions, as Jeff mentioned, like, then we are not doing it. Yeah. It's not unlike what John Wesley, the, the experience that John Wesley had. Uh, again, talking about purity of heart, um, John Wesley has a great sermon called The One Thing Needful, which is, gets into the same kind, of, uh, same kind of discussion. But, you know, John Wesley grew up in the church. You know, his dad was a minister and his mother was, was uh, a, a devout Christian. And so he grew up in, in the same way without having, um, without having that personal experience because it was just taken for granted. It was just taken for granted that this is what I am. Uh, and so, you know, he was actually an Anglican minister for like tw- an Anglican priest for like 12 years before he became a Christian. He says, you know, he went to, on a mission trip, you know, a mission, I said mission trip. He served here in Georgia uh, from from London, came over here and was here for a couple of years. That things kind of got a little awkward, a little uh, sketchy. And so on his way back, you know, uh, and then he went back and, and then it wasn't until after all of that that he was walking down the uh the road aldersgate uh and and he overheard somebody reading um actually martin luther's introduction to romans and in that moment he said my heart was strangely warmed he had that he had that personal experience and he said for the first time i understood that jesus was for me not just for us but for me personally and so that experience piece became very important in his ministry very important in his message uh, just like it was for Kierkegaard 100 years later. But that's uh, that's the cultural Christianity piece. I think that we have um, we have some of the same issues today, particularly here in America, where people aren't obviously required by law to be Christian, but we all grow up with, um, you know, even if you're not Christian, you grow up with a uh, with Christianity, you know, being saturated in Christianity. You know, there's, there's a sense in which I grew up in the church um, where my grandparents were missionaries and ministers and and this idea of being born christian is is very uh i think is is, a, is an issue is a, is a prominent problem that we have here in the united states of america yeah i know but i'm got stuck on this whole like you're talking about this personal experience and then i just really want to pick a bone with you about what you were saying last night about how we can't have a personal experience of Jesus Christ, but that's not what we're, we're going with the situation. Oh, do you not remember that whole comment? You because, don't, because you were because we were you were jacked up about on the Holy Spirit. Spirit. But you're talking about the Holy Spirit. We can't have the Holy yeah. Spirit individually. But, that's but that no, but that there's go. a personal level to that though. But yeah, there's a good conversation there. Um, what I really like about uh, what Jeff said, the distinction in purity purity as like this untouchable thing 
um, that we have to be versus, um, you know, what he's, what the scripture is actually talking about, which is basically like making all of the small choices that keep your eyes on Jesus. Yeah. And that is so helpful. It takes it from this lofty visionary thing that seems just completely unattainable and makes it very tangible, practical. Yeah. And, um, that's just where my, my mind kept going when I was listening to him preach is, there, there's a hymn, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your, what is it? Turn your yeah. eyes upon Jesus. And then Jeff used this great uh, illustration of, you know, Peter walking on the water and, you know, he tells Jesus to call to him and like he he's fine when he's looking at Jesus and it's the moment when he takes his eyes off Jesus and gets distracted by the chaos around him. Yeah. That's when he starts to sink. Yeah, that's right. And th- I mean, that's that's the purity of heart, right? It's like it's that complicated, but it's also that simple, right? Like keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's definitely in the sense of uh, the way Kierkegaard talks about it. In the sense of it's the direction of the will. It's, it's what you're willing, what you are moving toward. And that is that purity thing. You know, it does get caught up with the Puritans. It does get caught up with this kind of uh, in in my tradition, the tradition I grew up in, which was Nazarene and part of the holiness movement. Purity was a big deal, right? Keeping yourselves pure, and it means to be pure is is to be a hundred percent one thing, right? Without blemish, without um, without impurities, without things that are that are. corrupting the purity of the thing. So if you get a coin, a silver coin, you know, it's some, it'll say that it's hundred percent, you know, or 0.999 pure silver, right. Or pure gold. That means you can get, gar- you're guaranteed that that's uh that is 100% gold or 100% silver as close as you can get to it. Uh, and that's what, it, you know, that's kind of how we should be stamped. Like with this kind of pure Christian, pure disciple kind of understanding, this is the purity of our hearts is, is, is about the direction of our hearts. It made me think about uh, how we talk about marriage and, you know, romantic relationships. And I think, especially culturally, we have a, you know, the majority of people, we have a fairly easy time, like, with this concept of, you know, one person and, you know, we pick the person and, you, you know, you move forward. And, you know, that picking that person is saying no to everybody else but it's also like all the yeses that come with picking that one person right and um i think that's also it's an easy illustration i think for me like you know like this is how we should think about our relationship with god you know it's a it's a pure relationship it's like we're picking god and you're not supposed to be cheating on god with anybody else (laughs) you know or with other things that's right um i read this uh i read this i came across this poem earlier in the week before i heard jeff's sermon and it's called the true love. And so, you know, of course, in my mind, I immediately thought it was like a, you know, romantic poem. Sure. But I, I actually think it's about I think it's about Jesus. And it, it uses the sermon illustration that uh, Jeff had about walking on the water. So if you will indulge me. I suppose we can hear some poetry here. <laughs> Bring it into dialogue. All right. So this is the true love by David White. There is a faith in loving fiercely the one who is rightfully yours especially if you have waited years and especially if part of you never believed you could deserve this loved and oh man i messed that up all right hold on there is a faith in loving fiercely the one who is rightfully yours 
especially if you have waited years and especially if part of you never believed you could deserve this loved and beckoning hand held out to you this way. I am thinking of faith now and the testaments of loneliness and what we feel we are worthy of in this world. Years ago in the Hebrides, I remember an old man who walked every morning on the gray stones to the shore of baying seals, who would press his hat to his chest in the blustering salt wind and say his prayer to the turbulent Jesus hidden in the water. And I think of the story of the storm and everyone waking and seeing the distant yet familiar figure far across the water calling to them, and how we are all preparing for that abrupt waking and that calling and that moment we have to say yes, except it will not come so grandly, so biblically, but more subtly and intimately in the face of the one you know you have to love. So that when we finally step out of the boat toward them, we find everything holds us and everything confirms our courage. And if you wanted to drown, you could, but you don't because finally, after all this struggle and all these years, you simply don't want to anymore. You've simply had enough of drowning and you want to live and you want to love and you will walk across any territory and any darkness, however fluid and however dangerous, to take the one hand you know belongs in yours. That's great. It's about exactly what we're talking. It's about talking about. It's about purity of heart. Yeah. And stepping out in faith to this one thing. And and I, I love this. I love this part in the middle um, because at least I, I've all fallen into this before. Like and I've I've talked to people who have as well, where we think there's going to be this grand moment where God's going to smack us in the face. You know, when yeah. we hear we hear these cool stories of John Wesley, right? Like sure. strangely warmed or you know, we hear about these people that have these experiences. And certainly that does happen. But I think we're doing ourselves and our God an injustice if we believe that that's all it is. You know, if we wait right. for those moments, those moments when we get smacked in the face, because right. uh, it's not always like that, right? It's not always this extreme thing. It's like, again, it's, it's this purity of heart in these little tiny moments, these choices that we make every day, all day by, to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's a slow burn instead of the big explosion, you know, yeah. it's the, it's the slow, uh, and I think more often this is how the Holy Spirit works, is, is through these slow movements, the slow burning away of self and, and purifying our hearts. That is, you know, the, that slow purification process, that is sanctification. That is what we're talking about. And it's, it's a process that lasts a very, very, very long time. It can take uh, our entire lives, right? Yeah. Um, So, so in the process of, uh, so this is the, this is the sixth beatitude and that makes it the sixth step in the process. Um, really kind of the final step in a sense, because the pure, pure of heart is, is where we're headed toward this is the goal here. We started with being poor in self, poor in, in spirit, um, which is really the hardest piece. And, you know, my Sunday school class on Sunday talked about this particular part maybe being easier than the rest. One of the things that we have to realize is that this is not us that does this. We do not purify our hearts. It's something that God has to do, right? It's something that Jesus has to do. It's not something that we are capable of doing. 
Um, and there's a great passage, and I can't remember where it is. It's in it's in one of the Thessalonians, but it's a it's a great benediction that I use whenever, um, whenever I get the opportunity to do that. And and it goes something to the effect of, um, and now may the God of peace sanctify you through and through, and may your whole body, soul, and spirit be found pure and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will do it. You know, I've heard you say that before, and just hearing you again. I don't know that I've ever really realized that it's making you pure and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Like right. it, within that, it is acknowledging that it is, it's not necessarily now. Right. <laughs> it's, it's Absolutely. a process. It's going to take it's a long time. Take some time. And, and it's, and it's very clear that this is not something that we do. Yeah. You know, the, the step that we take is the first step to, to prepare ourselves, to empty ourselves of ourselves and then to allow God to step in and do the rest. Well, and the, the boat, you know, the boat story again is another, it goes back to that too, right? Like we have to step out of the boat, we have to have faith and we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, but it is, you know, it's not us that's keeping us above the water. Right. Right. Um, but I think a lot of times we find that difficult because we want to be, we want to be the ones who are doing it. We want to be doing something. Yeah, you know, and and achieving. We want control. This, yeah, we want control. We want to we want to control the process, and and this is the one of the this is one of those steps that that you don't you don't get to. You can't. You're not capable of it. You have to allow God to step in and do this. Um, I don't think we can be inactive, though. No. <laughs> I mean, we're. We're a little bit far out from the season of Advent, Advent, but we'll get there soon enough. We talk about that a lot in that season is the difference between um, passive and active waiting, this preparation uh, for Christ. You're not just, you're not distracted right. or apathetic doing nothing. Um, you're, you're preparing your heart. Yeah, and well, and and that's 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 part of the process, right? So this is you know a daily thing where we have to continually empty ourselves, uh, and that's an activity. That's definitely something that we do. That's our role to play is to get out of the way. That's a, that is a very hard part to do. I mean, that's the very difficult uh, thing to do. After that, it's it's all Christ who is working through us, the Holy Spirit in us that is that is doing the work of of purifying us and making us who we are supposed to be. Um, and we just have to be attentive to that. We have to listen to where the spirit is, is sending us and taking us. Um, and, and that's where we get back into the distraction piece because we can be so easily distracted from the will and the voice of God in our lives. Uh, and I think in particular, um, you know, I, I've made the argument that this, uh, that the Beatitudes are parallel to the Lord's Prayer. And so when you read something like, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you, then you also pray, give us this day our daily bread. When you read, uh, you know, blessed are the merciful, and then you read, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then right here you say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It lines up with, and lead us not into temptation, mm. but deliver us from evil. Or as some translations have now said, deliver us from the time of trial. And so there is a situation here where what is what is the temptation? What is the evil? Those are the things that are impurities that that drag us away uh, and threaten the purity of our heart. But it's it you know even in that prayer it's lead us 
not into temptation, lead us not here, you know, and deliver us. So that even in these moments, it is Christ, it is the Spirit, it is God who is taking the lead in these situations. It is not us. We cannot, we cannot do this on our own. I, uh, I try and keep um, a posture of, I don't know if humility is the right word, but I try and keep myself in check. Um, it doesn't really always work, but um, like on Sundays, you know, you have Sundays that are great, right? You go to church and you're just like feeling it. It's amazing. And you have Sundays that, you know, you just don't. And I try and remember that probably the difference in those Sundays is me and what I bring to the table. And it's not that, you know, <laughs> it's like that God took a Sunday off. Right. Yeah. It's not that God didn't show up or that, you know, Jeff didn't do a good job or, you right. know, so-and-so's prayer was, you know, too scripted or too unscripted or this song was not my vibe or it was my vibe, you know, like right. it's not, it's really, it's not any of those things. It's really what I bring to the table. Yeah. And, um, so this last Sunday, I, I just, I had a feeling of worship, worshipfulness and a feeling of the spirit sitting in church that I have been missing for a while. And, I, like I had been at map all week right. and I was not even one of the like kids or the adults out sweating on the site and, you know, swinging a hammer. Like I was sitting at map central doing logistics and, um, but you know, just like being a part of that spirit of, you know, because I think that's to me, that's what's so special about, um, map is that it's, it's this whole spirit that's moving through the church and the yeah. more people that you get involved in that kind of thing, that spirit just grows. And it's just, it's this huge presence that moves through the body and it's just really cool to be a part of that experience Absolutely. and I felt like I think I felt like I was carrying that with me going into Sunday and that that spirit was still there in our church and from all that awesome service work that had been done all week long yeah. um and that I think that to me is part of part of you know the pure in heart will see God right if we spend our time being a part of something like that or doing something like that, it becomes a lot easier to see God. Absolutely. You know, when you spend your week, you know, doing, you know, serving yourself or focusing on the things that you've got to deal with, it's a lot harder to then go into church and see God in all that, at least Absolutely. for me no, anyways. That's exactly right. I, you know, ultimately we see what's important in the world with our hearts anyway. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think, uh, you know, when we look at the world through a heart of faith, a heart that's pure, we get, we see God everywhere. You can see God in the sunset. You can see God in the hospital. You can see God in the sick. You can see God in the, in the children. You can see God anywhere you look, you see God. You know, I think a lot of times our problems is that our hearts are so, have been so uh, contaminated with things like sarcasm and things like cynicism that that's what we see. We see a world very cynical, you know, uh, and we see the world through a cynical heart. And that's one of the things that just kills faith. I mean, yeah. it kills faith because now you're no longer seeing God. Um, and, and you don't have that. You don't have that reflection of God in God's creation anymore. And it takes it for someone like that. It, it takes a lot more to, to get shaken out of that. Right. And that gets to um, that gets to the other passage, you know, that that Jeff brought up on Sunday. But that I think is intentionally uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount because it's unpacking this particular beatitude where Jesus says three things in quick succession. He says, don't stir up, store up your treasures in heaven. I mean, don't store up your treasures here on earth, store them up in heaven. Uh, and then he says the, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
right? Mm. And again, it provides light for the body. And then he says, you can't serve two masters. And he says all three of those things real quick. Now, two of those make sense together, but this is like a game of one of these is not like the other <laughs> because the first one is uh, don't store up for yourself treasures here, but, you know, in heaven. Now, that makes sense in terms of don't distract yourself with things that, you know, don't put your heart into things here. Uh, put your heart into the kingdom, right? You know, and Jesus is going to say in the next passage, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That makes sense. Okay, cool. And then the last part is don't, you can't serve two masters, right? You'll, you'll love one and hate the other, you know, and then you can't serve God and money. That makes sense. That rhymes with the treasures, you know, in heaven, not on earth. That makes sense. But then in the middle, you got this, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if, uh, if, if the eye, if the eye is bad, then, then it, it lets, then there's darkness, you know, and then the whole body is full of darkness. And if the light within you is, an, is that darkness, then how great is that darkness? That's a weird thing. It doesn't quite fit with what Jesus has been saying in the other two little little pieces, right? Mm-hmm. But what he's talking about there is the eye of your heart. He's talking about how you see the world and yeah. and the idea that when we get to a place where we look at something that is dark and we call it light, when we look at the world through cynicism, we call that truth, right? Uh, whenever we look at anything that's dark or evil or 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 not of God, and we say there's the light, there's the truth. We're, we're in a place that's hard to get out of. That's a place where it's someone like, it's someone, as, as I said in Sunday school, it's someone like Paul before his conversion where he is deeply passionate about God, but he believes with his whole heart that Christians are, uh, they are blaspheming God and God's activity in the world. And he is just going to, he is seeing something that is good and he's calling it darkness. And then killing Christians, he's darkness. He's calling that light and truth. And if it wasn't for Jesus to come along and knock him off his horse, kind of maybe punch him in the face a little bit, <laughs> then then it, that's what it took to get Paul to see the true light, you know? And it's it's telling that there's, he has scales over his eyes for three days, mm. and then the scales fall off and he can actually see the truth. And some of us need that. Some of us from time to time need to be just punched in the face by Jesus, you know? Uh, you know, tripped up. We need to be woken up from our slumber uh, or, or, or retaught what light is because we... I mean, this happens to me. Like you just, you start to see the world through such a cynical worldview that you begin to lose hope and your purity of heart. You don't see God anymore. Uh, you see, you see what you think is the absence of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was good. That was good. That's true. That was a good explanation of it. So, So I want to mention one thing. I don't know if we'll put this in the podcast or not, but uh, something that came up, something that came up in Sunday school that we have we have talked about before in the devotionals, uh, and and this idea that, and this is a hard concept to explain, and and and, and I'm not probably the best person to do that, um. But there is this there is this phenomenon, there's this experience that happens in the Christian faith called the dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul is is very hard to understand, but it's something that I think most of us have been through. It's a place where we begin to feel as though God has truly abandoned us and we are left uh we are left completely alone. And 
that's it, it, what makes it odd is that this happens generally happens right at the moment where we feel like we're closest to God. So it's like we're getting, we're being purified. Our heart is being made pure. And we're right at the cusp of seeing God in a way that we have never seen God before. And then all of a sudden God flips the light off and we are totally alone for a period of time. Um, it's called the dark night, but obviously it can last much longer than that. And it's not, it's not forever. It's temporary. But the way that uh, John, St. John of the Cross talks about it and the way that Mother Teresa talked about it is in terms of it's that final threshold of truly dying to yourself. And the, the absolute pain and agony of true death happens in this moment where then on the other side you're resurrected into this true uh, incomplete and whole relationship with God that, that has completely transformed who you are. Uh, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself goes through this night uh, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays to Jesus, or he prays to himself. Yeah, he prays to God. He says, God, I don't want to do this. You know, if there's any other way we can do this, let's do that. But then he says, not my will, but your will be done. And, and that's, that's the part that I usually focus on. And, and when I'm telling that story, because that's, that's the key piece, right? This is a total transformation of our will because we are becoming pure in heart. But what's striking about that story as I was rereading it this past week is Jesus does that three times. He prays that same prayer three times, which tells me that he was not receiving an answer. He must have felt as though nobody was there. I mean, this is Jesus, the son of God, who is praying to his father. And if he's praying it three times, it's not just because he's like, all right, come on. I mean, he's not begging, right? He's not, he's not saying, let me ask you one more time, because Jesus knows that when God has made up his mind, that's the way it goes. He's not receiving an answer. He must, in that moment, feel completely abandoned by God. Not only that, his friends are falling asleep. I mean, it's, 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 it's spiraling toward this moment, then finally he's hanging on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, but this is truly, I mean, this is the worst dark night of anyone's soul ever, but even Jesus Christ goes to this moment, and it leads to resurrection on the other side. But this death of self that Jesus goes through, even himself, even Jesus, that is the final step to truly being pure in heart. It's a painful, lonely kind of, uh, I think as as... Uh, St. John of the Cross said, it's, it's a dark light that finally burns away every last piece of who you are so that you can truly be pure uh, in heart and be in relationship with God. It is, I, I bring that up to say that, that while this is, uh, we talked about in Sunday school, while the purity of heart thing, we're not doing anything here. That is God that's doing it. But it can be incredibly painful, this last step. I don't know. You have any thoughts about that? All right, baby. You got something jostling me. <laughs> you have any thoughts about that? Um, I don't know. Like I lost it. I just talked you into a coma. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just... That's yeah. I mean, uh, all right, we can end there. 
No, I mean, I, I guess I don't, I, I want to, I want to know. All right. So we hear about, you know, St. John of the Cross, you know, I've heard you talk about darkness of the soul. We've put it in the devotionals. I, I get that Jesus went through that. Um, you know, he's mother Teresa. Like what is, I don't, I just always, I want to know what that looks like. What is that? I don't, I don't know. That seems so lofty. I can't, I can't grab onto that. Yeah. I don't yeah. have anything like I have had, you know, what in my experience are really terrible moments, uh, desperate moments, lonely moments, but I don't. It's the kind of thing that you can't really explain or understand until you've gone through it. And I'm not saying I have, cause I have it. It's again, it's, it's that last thing that happens before you are truly finally purified in a sense it's it's the moment we all die that's part partly true i mean everyone like literally die literally die uh that's truly that's truly one of those moments uh but they can happen before that when we actually die to ourselves. you know we use this we use this um die to self uh, as, as a metaphor. And we think that Paul's talking about it metaphorically and that Jesus is talking about it metaphorically. But I think there's a lot more literal about it than we realize. That we are literally, in a sense, dying to who we are. We are who we are is dying and being reborn in this baptism of faith in the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, and the reason why we never make it that far, and a lot of us don't have this experience of the dark night of the soul, it's because we never really want to get on the deathbed. We always hold on to a little bit of who we were. And so we never really finally get to that place. Or, or we never really finally allow God to complete the work that God is trying to do in each of us. Do you think it's important that we pray for that to happen? I think it's absolutely important. I think that's the goal. That's the thing. Like That's the goal of faith is this purity of heart. That is the absolute goal. You know, we get so lost and confused. We, we're not doing this for reward. We're not doing this to get a cookie at the end. We talked about that before. We're not doing this to get, you know, um, we're not doing this for reward. We're doing this to be restored. Uh, and that's the thing. We're being restored into the image of God, which means that everything that we are has to be handed over and sacrificed. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we hold on to these things. We hold on to ourselves. Like we're afraid to die. Um, and then that, you know, we, I talked about this in Sunday school as well, but we just watched the movie Castaway this past week, right? And there's that scene in Castaway where, where after, well, spoiler alert, by the way, uh, there's that scene in Castaway where uh, Tom Hanks is, is in the middle of the ocean. He's escaped the island finally. Wilson, the ball, his ball, his best friend, has fallen off and is floating away. And it's the most ridiculous Wilson. set. <laughs> exactly. And it's the most ridiculous scene, to, you know, but also like the saddest scene. And, and he's trying to swim out to the b- volleyball to bring Wilson back. And he's, gra- he's got, in one hand, he's got the the rope that's connected to the the raft that promises him new life off the island and and a whole new you know like restoration of, of who he was before and then you've got this ball that he has superimposed like who he used to be on uh as he's talking to this ball throughout the course of his time on the island you get the sense that the ball is not just wilson it is it is it is him it is tom hanks's character before he gets onto the island and so as he's swimming out to try to save Wilson, he is literally like 
trying to save his old self to take his old self with him to his new life. And finally, he has to choose because he, he can't choose. reach. And so he decides to go with the new life and, and he has to let his old life, his old self, he has to let Wilson go. And it's a heartbreaking moment where he is just torn and broken. Uh, and he is crying out. He's crying out, I'm sorry, Wilson, I'm sorry. But that's exactly what has to happen with us is, as Christians. We have to be willing to let go of our old self so that we can take this new life, this new raft to something that's completely and radically different. And you'll notice you know, that's what the blessed are those who mourn peace is, right? Because it's a painful process to die. It is a painful process to die, but this is what has to happen. And you'll notice that right after that, he is so broken by that, by that situation of losing Wilson. He just kind of lets the oars go into the water and he just allows the ocean to take it wherever Wherever the ocean is going to take him, that's where he's going to go. He's going to stop trying to control, right, the, the, the raft or where he's going to end up. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? It's the um, – sometimes I have a hard time grasping the idea of, like, letting go of, you know, an old self because I don't I, – I still I – don't, I don't know. I don't know that I really understand what that means. But when you talk about it in the sense of, like, a vision for your life, that makes sense, right? It's, it's you know, it's um, – who you think you're supposed to be. It's your expectations for the life ahead of you. It's your vision for it. It's the things that you want um, and the things that you think will make you happy. It's that kind of stuff that makes up that self that we have. Like we have to let go of that. And And that's the stuff that has to die. That's exactly right. It's it's, it's the self in you that is, is broken with sin as well. Like there's a part of this new life that I think... The way that Paul talks about well is sorry, go ahead. is free of all of that. Because you it once it's what it actually is is a self that you your old self is the is the is the self that you want to control, that you feel like you are confident enough to make the plans for yourself and that you're confident enough to control to steer the boat in the direction that you need to go in. The new self is one in which you have let go and you are allowing the ocean of God's grace and love to take you wherever it takes you. Well, yeah, bring it, bring it full circle. And it's, uh, it's not keeping your eyes on Jesus, right? It's if we're not pure in heart, we're not seeing God. We're seeing all these other things for our life instead. And that's how we become unpure in heart, right? We're filling our minds. We're filling our hearts with those earthly treasures and those earthly dreams and hopes and visions. And the world tells us that they're good and they're not harmful. But as Christians, we are supposed to know, we need to realize that those are actually the things that are taking our eyes off Jesus. And those are the things that keep us from being pure in heart and able to see God. And there is nothing that does that more than seeing ourselves. It's really self that gets in the way. Why Paul was convinced that self is the root of sin. The one thing that distracts us from God's face more than anything else is our own. Um, so next week we will uh, actually be reaching to, uh, the seven, we'll be reaching toward the end now alright so next week we're going to do this, this final seventh step of being a disciple of Jesus Christ the seventh beatitude blessed are the peacemakers which really is kind of the result of this process going through this purity of heart phase is the final like step step and now on the other side of that you have the image of god fully restored in you and that is a peacemaker 
Uh, and so that's what we'll dive into next week. Um, looking forward to that conversation. Have anything else you would like to say, Elizabeth? It's quite a seven-step process. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't. Sorry, I don't. All right, well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. Thanks for letting me read poetry. And folks, thank you for listening. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next week.